If you'd turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, we're going we're gonna to take, um, take a look at this passage. The book of Ephesians has quickly become uh, one of the most important, powerful uh, books of, of Scripture for me. Um, and it's fascinating because typically I end up getting very focused in on what, what comes in the the next set of verses in Ephesians. The last time I was here, I actually preached from that passage. But um, two weeks ago, I was at Walnut Creek and preached from Ephesians 4, 17 through the end. And and then today, I was asked if I would take uh, take time to look at the first six verses. So I'm kind of bookending the passage that I normally look at. Um, So in Ephesians 4 beginning in verse 1, and this is out of the the ESV. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And this was not written, by the way, to a single person. This was written to the church. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of of the spirit in the bond of peace there is one body and one spirit just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call one lord one faith one baptism one god and father of all who is over all and through all and in all that's the passage that's what we're looking at this morning i don't remember terribly much from science class um but I do remember the difference between potential energy and kinetic energy. Potential energy can be explained like stones sitting on the edge of a surface. They have no obvious energy. They're just sitting there. But there, there is potential. If something happens, if the earth shakes, if somebody pushes them, that energy becomes kinetic energy. When the stones fall, they become kinetic, in-motion energy. And when you look at the church, whether it's this church or the broader church, what do you see? Do you tend to see potential energy or kinetic energy? Is it sitting on the edge energy? Like we could really do something here. Or is it energy in motion? For me, and perhaps, you know, it it may be because I'm just wired this way, but oftentimes what I see is a lot of potential energy. I don't see a lot of energy in motion oftentimes when it relates to the larger church. As an individual, do you see yourself as sitting on the edge, or is your faith active and in motion? Is it purposeful motion, not just pointless energy? Like, are you actively engaged in your faith are you doing something with that in a purposeful way so in ephesians 4 this is where paul begins to launch into what we are to do as followers of jesus based on who we are in jesus if you want to see who paul says we are as followers of jesus you can reread the first three chapters we're not going to go back and reread all those but it has a lot to say about who we are in Jesus. 
But at some point, we need to see what we are supposed to do because we are followers of Jesus. So one of the, one of the problems, right, is that some have presented what amounts to a works salvation. So you aren't saved because of what you do. Of course you're not saved because of what you do. You're saved because of what Jesus did. But if you are saved, then you ought to be active because you are saved. So in Ephesians 4.1, Paul says, Therefore, and most of us that preach are, are always caught when we see a word like therefore. Because here, Paul is approaching that edge. He's saying the attitude that I hear come, come through in 4.1 is summed up, for me at least, in an old gospel song that says, I can't even walk without holding your hand. I therefore, off of this platform, Paul is saying, being a prisoner of the Lord, this is the platform. This is where Paul laid out the platform that he dives off of into what he is about to say next. Have you ever watched platform diving in the Olympics? Like, it's a cement pad, right? Platform diving. And they don't tend to show you the platform they just show you the diver. We don't tend to think too much about the platform, but I guarantee you that the diver does. If they're going to put their lives at risk by diving a at a significant height, doing twists and turns as they free fall into a pool of water, they will have to have studied the intricacies of the edge they dive off of. The greater the risk, the more we need to know the structure, the foundation that we're using to dive off. So what was the platform that Paul just dove off? Because he dove off, and we're going to get to that part, but, but at the potential energy stage, what is the platform that he's diving off? Now, I know you already had this preached on, but the platform, the therefore, I, I want to back up and read some verses from Ephesians 3. In Ephesians 3.14, For this reason, Paul says, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit, by your inner being, in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength, strength, to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, to know something that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I, therefore, that's my platform. So when they're doing handstands on the edge or they're standing with just their tiptoes on the edge and they're back to the water, they know that platform. They know that platform has been designed for them to securely get ready to move from potential energy to kinetic. 
doing what follows in verses 1 through 6 of chapter 4 to me seems unimaginable if we try to do it without him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to his power that's at work within us. To try and do those verses, those six verses, without this God isn't going to happen. And then you're going to find the word unity. Unity in the spirit requires motion. I urge you to walk. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. He doesn't say, I urge you to sit. I urge you to walk. This is Holy Spirit energy in motion. We are now over the edge. This is active energy. Being united in the Spirit does not happen without our active participation. Joel, I like you, but unless we are actually going somewhere, like the point of this is, if we're going to be united in this, we need to engage together and go. The word unity speaks to the energy required on our part to be one. Both of us will have to contribute to that, collectively, together. Now, I want to state the obvious, but you cannot experience unity alone. There is no such thing as a spiritual hermit. Not a Holy Spirit hermit. You cannot experience unity alone. This unity requires humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain unity. And it sounds a lot like the fruit of the Spirit that are, that's spelled out in Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Action. Those are actionable things. Fruit is what's produced. Those who, who belong to Christ Jesus make the decision to produce fruit consistent with the Holy Spirit. And by the way, isn't it interesting when he's talking about unity that you can find the representation of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We believe in one God expressed in three ways right? There is one God. There is unity in God. You can't have unity alone. We're not saved because of what we do, but we do because we are saved. And I know Eric and Carmen are really sweet-spirited people. One of the things that has, has been said over and over is they're so nice. Like, we like being around them. You have a pastor you like being around? Hold on to him. But the, but the reason they're sweet-spirited people is because they have decided to live out Holy Spirit kinetic energy. You made that decision. Your behavior in the past has made that clear. We aren't hoping you do this. We are watching you do this. They don't leave their potential on the shelf and talk about what they could be in Christ. They're pressing into becoming like Jesus. Too many believers look like the elf on the shelf, right? And it's time to get off the shelf. One of the greatest challenges for me in ministry, and I've been doing this a long time, is to convince some people what life in Jesus Christ 
might look like if they realized they were setting on their potential and finally took a real leap of kinetic faith, faith in motion. They have something to offer. You have something to offer. And sometimes it's hard to convince people that you have something to offer. But you do. If you're in Christ, you have something to offer. And then there is one. There is one is not a suggestion. It's not a hope. It says there is one. It's a statement of fact. And then there, it, it says seven times in rapid fire, seven times in rapid fire fashion, Paul says there's one. One body. One spirit. One hope of your calling. There is one Lord. There is one faith. There is one baptism. And one God and Father of all. He talks about one. Seven times he says there is one. These are markers for us to know who we are one with. Obviously, we are called to be one with God, right? Because of what he's done for us. We're called to be one with God. There are so many songs from my youth, not yours, my youth, that that had the, the idea of me and Jesus got our own thing going. This thing of us being, somehow it's just me and God, and that's got to be good enough. But that's not what he's saying. These seven markers also help us to see who we are teamed with. Who we are teamed with. When I was in college, I ran cross country. Um, and actually ran here at Malone. Um, and we were good. Like, I'm, I'm just telling you if, you, if you're into athletics, if you're into college, I, I, th- this is not a personal glory story. This is just me telling you that, that we were nationally competitive. We were part of the NAIA at the time. They had already won one national championship. We were nationally competitive year after year. When the gun went off, which is the starter's gun, there could be hundreds of people that left the starting line. Each individual wanted to do their best. But I was on a well-coached team that understood that we were part of something bigger. We were part of a team. Seven runners on a varsity team. The top five are going to score. The other two have the ability to displace other teams' top five, if that makes any sense to you. The point is that if you are competing at that level, you needed all seven people to do their absolute best in order to put the team in a unique place at the top of the podium. We were a team. We practiced together. We lived together. We ate together. We rode the bus together. And we wore the same jerseys. There was absolutely no confusion. When the gun went off, there could have been two or 300 people in the race. At the national meet, there were probably three or 400 people that were in the race. But there were only six teammates that were with you in that race. There's no, there, there's, there was no confusion and there was no apology. We were a team. And we were one. And the team trophies always meant more to us than the individual trophies. 
And since I was not the guy that was winning the race, and I was oftentimes somewhere between five through seven on one of those teams, it was important to me to see the number one runner turn around and come back and encourage the rest of us to get there and get there quickly because as a team, like we, we were teammates. You don't have to hate the other teams, by the way. But you can do everything in your power to make sure that your team does well. You have to know who your teammates are. Today's a good, a good day to look around and celebrate that in Christ, you are one. I honestly encourage you to go ahead and do it. I know we're in church. Go ahead and look around. Because today, in Christ, in this church, in this body, you need to understand these are your teammates. You're not sitting on the shelf. You are together. You are to be one. And that is Holy Spirit poetry in motion. The kind of oneness that invites others into the body without compromising the call. There are, like it's a fairly full room today, right? More, more than normal? And yet there are chairs. There are still chairs available. Be the person that invites others into the body, but do that without compromising the call. The kind of oneness that has faith in the person to the left or the right of you when they're struggling to have faith at all. There were times in cross-country races that you knew that the person, your teammate, that you were coming up on, that they were struggling, and we had ways of, of verbally encouraging them and letting them know, you are going with me now. You weren't just passing them. You are coming with me. Let's go right now. Let's go. And you may even pick your speed up. You could even potentially shove them in the back just slightly to let them know you were not leaving them. You were bringing them with you. God calls us to the kind of oneness that turns people loose to do the ministry that God calls them to do. All while they are cheering you on to do the ministry that God is calling you to do. Because God energizes each of us to do our part within the body. One of the beautiful aspects of this church extending this call to Eric is that you are agreeing up front that he's not the only one that's doing ministry here. That's reflected in him being 60%, but it's also obvious in the way that many here labor for the cause of Jesus. Respect and protect that culture of being united being one, being active together in your faith. Please do not allow that to get lost. Do not allow that to get compromised. Do not allow that to get fractured. You have to be intentional about maintaining that you are one in Christ. And keep calling others off the shelf. Find a nice way to do it but keep calling others off the shelf. Moving from potential that sits on the edge to the kinetic Holy Spirit, active, energized, and in motion with purpose within you. Jesus said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And he did not come and spend three years doing nothing. 
he invites us to participate with him. It's a journey, folks. And just come back and say, Eric, Carmen, kids, welcome home here. But to all of you, welcome to the ministry that God has called you to because it is an active ministry. Let me pray for you, and Joel's going to come up and lead from there. God, all of us are, in many ways, interim in what we do. It's a matter of time. That means that we need to be actively calling others to walk with us. Many of them will replace us, and that's a good thing, too. But until, God, you move us out of where we're at, we need to get on with the business of Christ's kingdom first. May we be one as you are one. Be the body of Christ, understanding that none of this makes any difference if it's not for the blood and body of Christ. God, continue to move through this place. I pray that this town square would be transformed because of because of you positioning these people in this place at this time. I just pray this in Jesus. Amen.